the America's National Parks podcast is sponsored by L.L. Bean, dedicated to helping you experience all the benefits of time outside and stay more comfortable while you're out there. From soft and breathable activewear designed to do it all to just right layers perfect for changing weather to sun smart clothing that blocks the sun's harmful rays. Every L.L. Bean product is made with comfortable time outside in mind. Visit LLBean.com to shop now. L.L. Bean. Be an outsider. It was, quite literally, earth-shaking. So much so that a seismometer thousands of miles away picked up the vibrations. It contained enough force to push debris a mile underwater, heaving it uphill onto the opposite shore and generate a tsunami high enough to rival Seattle's Space Needle. But this was no earthquake. I'm Jason Epperson, and today on America's National Parks, the Icy Bay Landslide, a 60-second deluge of boulders, earth, and trees in a remote slice of Alaska's Wrangell-St. Elias National Park and Preserve on October 17, 2015. The Icy Bay Landslide began when a mass of rock perched 2,800 feet above sea level, gave way, unleashing over 150 million tons of debris. For perspective, rubble taken from the collapsed Twin Towers amounted to 1.5 million tons, requiring over 108,000 truckloads to cart it away. Multiply that by 100, imagine it hurtling down a steep mountainside, and you begin to get the picture. Anyone buried under that mass would have likely never been found. Fortunately, no one was. Not a soul, as far as anyone knows, had so much as a hair blown out of place. And if the scientific community has anything to do with it, that will be the case for the inevitable next time. Today's story comes with our gratitude from Deanna Oaks of the Ocean Alaska Science and Learning Center. Here's Abigail. Precipitous fjords, rugged mountain terrain, glaciated valleys. This is the scenery that attracts millions to coastal Alaska. However, these same features are prone to just this kind of event. Glacier Bay National Park alone has experienced eight large landslides since 2012. And in 1958, a 90-million-ton rockfall in the park's Latuya Bay triggered the largest known tsunami of modern times. As glaciers withdraw, destabilizing fjord walls, thawing permafrost buckles the ground beneath them, and more massive slopes are expected to give way. Which perhaps explains the sense of urgency in the team of Earth scientists funded by the National Science Foundation and the National Park Service that clamored around the base of this crumbled mountain in the summer of 2016. 
The sheer mass of the devastation dwarfed their forms as they picked their way over the rubble. A detached onlooker might have noted an element of the quixotic in their mission. They were, however, intent on building an accurate picture of what occurred before vegetation reclaimed the stripped beaches and sediment confounded the evidence. Before this dynamic landscape reshaped itself once again. Before it happened somewhere more populated. When grappling with what happened, like the incident itself, one question triggers another, which unleashes still more. How much debris was there and how far did it go? Which slope might be next to give way and when? Could it trigger another tsunami? If so, how big will it be and how fast will it travel? The Icy Bay landslide provided the ideal opportunity to answer some of these questions. It occurred in terrain similar to that of more populated areas and heavily visited sites. We have very little understanding of how tsunamis are triggered by landslides, which behave differently than earthquake-generated surges. The sheer scale of the event magnified its impacts, making them easier to study. And no one was harmed. It was, in a sense, the perfect experiment. Several studies have already come out of the 2016 expedition with more pending. And while none provide definitive answers, all contribute crucial insight for predicting and planning for large-scale geologic events. In one study, a team of geologists set out to map the landslide deposits, the boulders, hummocks, and sediment strewn about the landscape in order to better understand how a landslide behaves when it makes contact. In this, the Icy Bay Affair provided a golden opportunity. Rarely do landslides spew their contents onto such contrasting environments. The team found debris on the land, on top of Tyndall Glacier, and in fjord waters. They contrasted debris distribution in each scenario. They studied digital models and satellite imagery for clues to what triggered the slide. They examined rock surfaces and deposit sediment to reconstruct the mechanics of its movement. While further interpretation of the data is pending, useful information has already emerged. The study confirmed, for example, that this collapse was a long time in the making. Like an aging spine gradually caving in on itself, the mountainside had been in a decades-long slump that began when Tyndall Glacier withdrew its buttressing walls. The study revealed that just as the glacier, or its absence, was reshaping the valley, landslide debris was reshaping the glacier. They identified previously undetected signatures unique to large landslides that will aid in identifying others long buried. Such findings will help pinpoint not only ancient slides, but future hazard zones as well. A separate study by graduate student Colin Kretz-Bloom focuses on Chapter 2 of this tumultuous story. Nearly 90% of the landslide mass entered Tan Fjord, an arm of Icy Bay, triggering the tsunami. Extending inland up to 600 feet above sea level, this massive surge lent itself well for assessing a tsunami's potential. In particular, the study looked for lasting surface evidence of the upwelling in the alluvial fans feeding into Tyndall Glacier. These malleable surfaces, it contends, preserve obvious terrain modifications. 
The results, therefore, may be used to predict impacts to heavily populated coastal areas found throughout southern Alaska. What happens to all that momentum when high-speed landslide meets big water? A third study attempts to answer that using software known as D-Claw, designed to simulate flows that involve mixtures of both water and sediment. Research mathematician D.L. George and his team employed a mathematical computation which treated both landslide and tsunami as a single mass. This method enabled them to simulate landslide motion, wave generation, and shoreline inundation patterns which closely matched what actually occurred in Tan Fjord. This newly developed model, the study proposes, will provide a more reliable tool for evaluating a tsunami's potential threat to nearby communities such as its size, its inland reach, and how soon it might arrive. Ultimately, each study will uniquely enhance our understanding of large-scale geologic events. Their findings will be vital for informing critical decisions the next time a mountain collapses in Alaska's rugged, spectacular, and rapidly changing fjord lands. Imagine living laboratories where science and education are combined to increase our knowledge and understanding of the natural world and our relationship to it. Picture places where natural scientists conduct groundbreaking research that helps national park managers develop solutions to challenges facing the seashores, forests, grasslands, deserts, and other natural systems in their care. In this setting, cultural scientists such as historians, archaeologists, and ethnographers investigate the relationships of earlier inhabitants to the natural environment. Consider too that these sites are the product of partnerships between national parks and their neighbors, including universities, state agencies, and community organizations. The Ocean Alaska Science and Learning Center is one of 32 planned research learning centers placed strategically around the nation through the Natural Resource Challenge Program. Its mission to promote stewardship of the marine-influenced ecosystems of Alaska's coastal national parks through education and research. Research learning centers have been designed as public-private partnerships that involve a wide range of people and organizations, including researchers, universities, educators, and community groups. Collaboration and cooperation help leverage available resources to address the national park system's current backlog of research projects. Research learning centers are cost-effective because each has a small core staff and operational expenses are shared with partners. The actual facilities are housed in either adaptively reused buildings and parks or facilities in surrounding communities. 18 research learning centers have been established and are located in different inventory and monitoring networks, ensuring that research activities are evenly distributed. Research learning centers open the door for parks to become libraries, laboratories, and classrooms of tremendous national importance. This episode of America's National Parks was hosted by me, Jason Epperson, with narration by Abigail Trebu from the text, The Day It Rained Rocks by Deanna Oaks of the Ocean Alaska Science and Learning Center. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search National Park Podcast. You can also join our America's National Parks Facebook group. For more great American destinations, give us a listen at the Sea America Podcast. And if you're interested in RV travel, find us at the RV Miles Podcast. 
You can also follow Abigail and me as we travel the country with our three boys all over social media as Our Wandering Family. Today's show was sponsored by L.L. Bean. Follow the hashtag BeAnOutsider and visit LLBean.com to find great gear for exploring the national parks.